0: Good morning to everybody watching online, everybody here. Um, God's good. And I was all the time. And I was thinking, I've been processing a little bit of what I think God is doing in the church. Not just here, but definitely at Novation, but definitely in His church all around the world. I believe there's a restoration coming back to the early church. The first three or four hundred years of the church, when we go beyond the book of Acts, you see how they were different. Israel was called to be a peculiar people, set apart, different, right? And so God set them above the nations. The church is called to be different too. And so I think two things are happening. He's restoring an understanding of the goodness of the Father, The more we focus on the goodness of the Father, the more we are changed, the more we see people differently. The Father is always good. Jesus is always good. The Holy Spirit is good. And it's an understanding of that relationship. And the second thing I believe is happening is a a restoration to what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? Not just the word Christian. A lot of people say they're Christian, but they don't follow Jesus. They're They're not striving to put into practice the things that Jesus said to do, the things that mark a Christian. And I don't mean any kind of legalism. I don't mean any kind of rules. I mean becoming like Jesus, the greatest person that's ever lived. The model of humanity is Jesus. And I believe he's restoring a call to take that seriously. And I pray all of us as a church would know the goodness of the Father, and that we would put into practice what Jesus says to do. We're imperfect, which cues up the message. Let me pray first. Father, I ask this morning that you would be the teacher through the Holy Spirit. I pray, God, that we would um, be taught by you, Holy Spirit, this morning. Open our minds, open our hearts, And I pray that that you would be glorified and that we would be edified in Jesus' name. Amen. How many know Jesus' church is imperfect? Imperfect people do imperfect things. You figured that out? Like, we're imperfect. We follow the perfect one, but, but we're imperfect. Therefore, within a church, the local church, Imperfect people are going to fail one another. Imperfect people are going to have differences. We're going to—it's just a reality that must be accepted. Learning how to forgive, walk in peace in spite of those differences—that's the goal. Is that we learn how to do that? Um, a guy that I follow that is kind of a pastor to pastors. He on his Twitter feed he asked people to. Uh, share like funny church fights that have happened (laughs) in churches, real things that have happened in the churches that people belong to. And he had to narrow hundreds of them down to his top 25. And I'm not going to read all of them, but I'm going to read a few. One person wrote to him and said, his church got into an argument over the appropriate length of the worship pastor's beard. Thankfully, thankfully, we don't have to worry about that with Christy, period. So we're good. One person wrote in and said that the church got in a fight over whether or not to build a children's playground or to use the land for a cemetery. (laughs) Life, okay. Um, One church leader accused another church leader of sending a harsh, anonymous letter and said, let's settle it in the parking lot. Oh, anybody go to that church ever before? <laughs> Two pastors bam bam, in the parking lot. <laughs> um, a church had a dispute over whether or not to install restroom stall dividers in the women 's restroom <laughs> was that was a no brainer what are we in the military or something here um, uh, Yeah. One church had a fight over whether the worship leader should have his shoes on during the service. (laughs) I've been to that church. Last one I'll read. They had a church had a huge fight, a huge disagreement over using the term pot luck instead of pot blessing. (laughs) Now that's dumb, right? That is dumb. Today we're going to talk about when we disagree. And if you're taking notes, circle that word we. Because we're talking about the church. We're talking about believers. When believers disagree, we're in the book of Acts. We've been in the book of Acts since Easter. And we've called it Kingdom Go. We went through the book of Luke where we saw Jesus usher in and inaugurate His kingdom. We called that Kingdom Come. This has been Kingdom Go. And I've been really enjoying the the study and the other folks that have have taught as well during this series, and just seeing God bringing new understanding of of the Scriptures. And what we're going to talk about today is another one of those pivotal, pivotal moments, transitional moments in the book of Acts that has had 2,000 years worth of, um, you know, domino effect to us even today. So we're going to be in Acts 15, 1 through 29, and the context is Paul's First missionary journey, which we learned about last week when Scott Troutwine taught about being compelled to go share this good news. Remember, Jesus told the disciples, he said, you're going to be my, after the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the world, to the ends of the earth. We're seeing that begin to happen. Peter had his awakening that the gospel just wasn't for the Jewish people. It was for the whole world, if you remember that a couple weeks ago. And we saw in, 13, in chapter 13 and 14 uh, that this gospel goes to the ends of the earth. So I'm going to divide this section of scripture into three, three different divisions, three different sections, if you will. Divide this passage into three sections. The first one, if you're writing, taking notes, is you can write down the, the division. And I'll tell you why. It says in verse 1 through 5, it says certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas, who had just been on their missionary journey preaching the gospel, into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some other believers Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. There's immediately in this preaching the gospel to the world, there's this division. Jewish believers could not see how Gentile believers in Christ could not, they needed to convert to Judaism. They needed to become Jewish outwardly in practice, circumcision, all of that stuff. Now before we're too harsh on them, think about this. You're talking about thousands of years of your God's people. God had set the Jewish people apart. They're, all the things in the law elevated from the, the, the pagan nations around them that just live like you know, barbarians, they were set apart and and began to, to see that God's not like the way these other nations live. And so God wanted to show himself through the Jewish people, but they were obviously very proud of who they were. This is your custom. This is how you've lived life for thousands of years. Now you're telling me people, the people of God don't have to do these things. I can see why they would struggle. That happens in any kind of tradition, right? All of a sudden, somebody wants to break with what you thought is tradition. It's like, whoa, hold on. Slow your roll a little bit. So there's this division going on. Then we move to the heading, the discussion. We move from division to discussion. It continues. It says, the apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God By putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear. That's powerful. No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. I would love to go in a time machine and have been in this, this discu- here, listening to this discussion and be there. Because you got to realize this has impacted you and me. This uh, apostolic decision, this discussion that they're making, impacted the church worldwide. It, it was a major change that was happening here. This whole understanding that God was reclaiming all the nations. Not just Israel, but all the nations through the person and work of Jesus. So Peter steps up with this apostolic authority. And guys, we're connected to that. Like, this is not made-up stuff. This really happened. There really was a guy named Peter, a guy named Paul. And God used these people to change the world. And Peter stands up with that apostolic authority. And he says, no. We're not going to do this. And here's Peter. They were all Jews. All of Jesus' disciples were, were, you know, good, good, you know, God-fearing Jewish people. They would have obeyed the law. They would have done all the customs. Peter's standing up saying, no, this is not how it is anymore. I'm, I bear witness to that. Remember this? The, in Acts chapter 10, Peter got the vision of the unclean food that came down, and he was told to eat it. And he said, no way, I've never eaten anything unclean. And then... God says to him, don't call anything unclean that I've made clean. And he realized this isn't about food. This is about people. Don't call people unclean that I've made clean through the gospel. Third heading, the decision. We went from the division within the believing church at the time to discussing how do we respond to this till they came to a decision. Now, Jesus' half-brother James is very important right here who is James, the half-brother of Jesus. We know in John chapter 7 that he didn't believe in Jesus. He rejected his brother as, you're not a messiah, who do you think you are? Literally rejected his brother's claims. After the resurrection, we're told that, that the resurrected Jesus appeared to James and he became a follower of his brother as messiah. You think if a guy died, you saw him dead and he was dead for three days, and then he comes back and you're talking to him face to face, you'd become a believer in him too? Of course, right? And that, that's so James becomes a, a huge uh, part of the leadership of the church, in the early church. He stands up and he says, It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For the law of Moses has been, been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. Then the apostles and elders with the whole church decided to choose some of their own men and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They chose Judas and Silas, men who were leaders among the believers. That's not Judas Iscariot, different Judas. With them, they sent the following letter. So they wrote this letter and said, distribute this to all these Gentile churches that you've been reaching. The apostles and your elders, your brothers, to the Gentiles, believers in Antioch, Syria, and Sicilia, greetings. Greetings. What we are writing. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You are to abstain from food, sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. Farewell. Adios. And they get this letter and they read this. So you're a non-Jewish believer now in Jesus. And they're giving this instruction. Now, why those four requirements? That's an important thing to understand. Why would he... Why would they, it almost sounds to us like, well, are you telling them they have to obey the law or whatever and become Jews? Well, I think there's two reasons. First is very practical. It's very practical in that the Jewish believers were the ones that were stumbling over the Gentiles not living like Jews. That stumbled them. That bothered them. They weren't in a place of of maturity. They weren't in a place of understanding just yet that when you follow Jesus, you don't have to become Jew, that Jesus is the global Messiah, not not just for Israel, not just for Jews. So it was a loving thing. They were asking them to walk in love towards their Jewish brothers and sisters. There's another reason and I'd never seen this before until studying this. If you go to Leviticus, the you know book of the, one of the books of the law, Leviticus chapter seventeen and eighteen talk about this very stuff. These four things, and when it's written in the law, it says to the alien in the land, meaning non-Jewish people, and to the to the Jews, and then chapter seventeen talks about abstain from food sacrifice to idols. Why is that a big deal? Well, there's no God doesn't want us worshiping any God but Him. You know, that's the first commandment. Don't have any other gods. So to eat food sacrifice to idols, you know, when they would sacrifice to an idol, they thought they were meeting the need of their God. They're helping meet the need of their God. God doesn't need us or anybody to meet His needs. That's what that whole stuff is about. And then He talks about you know, from blood, avoid that. In Leviticus, it talks about how life is in the blood. Don't drink or or eat blood. Life is in the blood. It's it's sa- it a sacred thing. So this command in Leviticus of these four things, they're just saying. You know, in, in chapter eighteen is all about avoiding sexual immorality and what what that looks like in in the way God created marriage and He created us as human beings. What. Sec- sex outside of his plan so to speak in Leviticus 18 I think it's phenomenal to see that that it was already written in the law James says the law is, is spoken every week in the synagogues and they're going to the Jewish people will be reminded of the aliens in the land and it's okay they don't have to do everything else they were instructed these four things that makes sense like that's an important thing for us to understand that that the the Jews were called to live above the nations around them, not eat blood and and be crazy with how they live their life and, and all of that they were to uh, live above that, and so the church is called to live above that too, above how the world around us is. so what do we get from all of this well let's let 's make this very practical when we disagree us in, In this church, in our local church, or with other believers of other denominations, other movements, whatever, if we disagree, what should we do? The first thing I want you to write down when we disagree is we need to understand the difference between primary and secondary issues. That's what was happening with the apostles and James. They were deciphering between, is this a primary issue or are these secondary issues? And so primary issues within the church for all believers are the things that connect us all together. They are, they are uh, non-negotiables about the, the the character of God, the, the, the nature of God, that God is, is, is one but three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. God is an eternal relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, and that Jesus is the only way to the Father. There is no that no other way other than through Jesus to come to the Father. He said that. So there's a, there's a handful, three, four, five things that these are primary issues. The Apostles' Creed, right? If you go to our website and you look up our statement of faith, it's simply the Apostles' Creed that we tweaked just a little bit to you know, make it understandable a hair more. But it, the Apostles' Creed is one of the oldest creeds that summarize what the Apostles taught. And so that's why some of you may have been raised in a church where you said the Apostles Creed every week, but you were just kind of like, you know, numb while you were doing it. But I would encourage you, if that was you, go back to the Apostles Creed and see the depth of what's, those are the primary things that are listed in the Apostles Creed. We need to focus on what unites us when it comes to our belief. All believers believe that Jesus Christ is awesome, that the gospel is good news. And that he gives new life. And so we focus on that. We need to be known not for what we're against, but what we're for. And we're for life. We're for love. We're for peace. We're for people getting to know Jesus. Paul kind of gives his own little creed and gives the primary things in Ephesians 4. He says, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, and one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And if he was from the South, he'd say, in all 'all." (laughs) y'all. Oh, you are listening. I'm, thank you, thank you. Here's how you can know when it's a primary issue versus a secondary issue. Because can we admit we don't all agree on everything? There are certain things that we go, ah, I don't see it that way, or I don't know if that's my conviction one way or the other, and it's okay. That's to be expected. We see imperfectly right now; Our, we don't see everything perfect. Our interpretation of Scripture isn't always perfect. Everybody has a little bit of error in their their understanding. So, how do you know if this is a primary deal where it's like, whoa? This, you can't, you got to believe this. You got to understand this versus a secondary issue. When two people who love Jesus, who believe in the authority of scripture, when they disagree over an interpretation or some sort of expression or or whatever, they, they disagree, it's a secondary thing. Because two believers are going to be joined together on the primary things. Does that make sense? That's that to me was life-changing when I understood that. That if 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 me and one of my brothers disagree on something an interpretation, I know he loves Jesus. I know I love Jesus. I know he believes in the authority of scripture. I know I believe in the authority of scripture. It's probably a secondary issue. Might be important, but it's not primary. Second thing, when we disagree as believers, is avoid legalism. Avoid legalism. I bet many of you have heard that word growing up in your life. Legalism. That's legalistic. That's just legalistic. What does that mean? Here's a definition I gave for legalism. Legalism is commanding something from fellow believers that the gospel does not and condemning something that the scripture does not or is silent on. Notice I put fellow believers in there. You and I don't get to tell the world how to live their life if they're not following Jesus. Jesus tells people how to live their life. And Paul even talked about that in 1 Corinthians when he talked about people who called themselves believers were living immoral lives. He said, you know, he talked about, I'm not talking about the people of this world. I'd have to leave this world if I wanted to go to a perfect place, Right. He said, no, this is for us. As we shine in this dark world, our light shining is, is, is how we live. But commanding something from somebody that the gospel doesn't and condemn something that the Scripture on this. So concerning doctrine, what we believe, and concerning lifestyle choices, what what there's legalism can show up. Some simple ones to share would be what Bible version should you read? There's a movement of people who believe there's only one version of the Bible that you should read, and if you don't read that, then you're sinning. Wrong. <laughs> because it's, it's a translation. Every version that we have in English had to be translated from Hebrew and Greek. So it's all a, a translation in, in that. Understand that. Um, birth control. I mean, and, and some of these may may not be as culturally relevant as they used to be, but man, there used to be a big deal in the church whether Christian couples should use birth control or not. Alcohol is an obvious one that throughout the church has always been one whether you can or you can't. I, had a, I have a pastor friend who told me a story about one of his Bible college teachers. His Bible college teacher came from the, the Bible Belt. And he took a pastorate job in Wisconsin, and at his very first elders meeting, being introduced to the elders and talking and all of that, when the meeting was over, the elders cracked a couple cold ones. That's beer, if you don't know what that is. So they, they, they cracked a couple <laughs> cervezas, and um, the guy was stumbled. He was like, whoa, whoa, "Whoa, what kind of church am I in here? You're having beer." and he took one of the elders aside, and he said, uh, man, what are you guys doing drinking beer? Like, we're not supposed to do that. And he goes, well, I'll tell you two things, the elder told him. Number one, you're in the state of Wisconsin. You, You get beer in your baby bottle, like when you're growing up. I mean, it's just, it's part of the meal. And he said, number two, when you lose about 50 pounds, you can talk to me about anything you'd like to where we disagree on what we should, can do and cannot do. Dang! And you know what he said? He didn't get mad. The Holy Spirit convicted him that he was judging when he didn't have a place to judge. He was judging by this legalistic idea and went and lost 50 pounds and then they had a conversation. <laughs> when I was, uh, years ago, I taught... Bible at a Christian high school. And I remember one day I asked my class, I said, "What do you love about this school? All oh, the teachers love us, they pray for us, sports program is great, etc. <laughs> They're high school kids. And um, then I said, "Well, what do you not like about this school?" And three or four people raised their hand, so legalistic, it's so legalistic, it's so legalistic. And I thought, hmm, I have an opportunity to teach on what legalism really is right now. And I said, well, what makes it legalistic? We can't chew gum. (laughs) Thank you, brother. (laughs) We can't chew gum. (laughs) And I I said, "Um, you can't chew gum. I said, "It's, it's legalistic of a school who depends upon private donations to run this school that they don't want you to put your gum underneath your desk, get it on the carpet and ruin it. They got to give extra funds to that's legalistic. I went to public school. I know what's on the bottom of desks in public school. Um, And I said, that's legalistic. And they were like, well, we can't chew gum. And I said, listen, has anybody ever told you that you're more holy if you don't chew gum? You're more spiritual if you don't chew gum? If they said that to you, then yes, that's legalism. Making a rule that says you can't chew gum, that's not legalism. We have to always... We might not like the rules. There are many dumb rules that I hate that are I, I bump up against. But it's that person's... That's that in, institution, organization, business's right to make those rules. But just don't tell me I'm not a, I'm a bad Christian if I don't do these things outside of your, your spot. That's important that we understand that. And that... that to, to be legalistic is to say you're more holy if you don't do this, you're more holy if you do this, when Scripture's unclear about it. That's the point. Learning to distinguish cultural holiness from what real holiness is, is part of maturing as a follower of Jesus. I mean, in certain cultures in, in the South, my cousin was a Baptist pastor in the South, and he said he couldn't be caught outside going into the grocery store without a suit on. If somebody from church saw him and he didn't have a suit on, going to the grocery store. I would hate that. Like, I hate dressing up, if you don't know that. And I thought, man, that would, I'm never going to be a pastor in the South if I got to wear a suit all the time. I love that about us. You're in shorts today. Nobody's judging each other. Um, we're able to, to just be free. That's, that's cultural stuff. You know, I'm in jeans, right? Does this make me more holy or less holy? I guess it depends upon how tight they are. <laughs> oh, no, I didn't. I did, though. The opposite of legalism would be liberalism. Liberalism is not care is is I guess in the name of grace in the name of Christian liberty, living carelessly. And we don't ever want to do that. We want the balance. We don't want to be legalistic. And it's, the reality is God has set boundaries for us for a reason. Because He loves us. He cares for us. And so we want to walk in that. The boundaries, the freedom, the boundaries that God has given us. Uh, third thing when we disagree is discuss and debate Secondary issues, but don't divide. People divide over secondary issues all the time. Churches. You know why there's so many denominations? It's because a movement or a group of people elevated a secondary issue and made it a primary deal. Said, oh, we're just going to go start our own church. We're going to start our own movement. We're going to start our own denomination. And we'll be the church that, that, you know, Focuses on that. But you know what? Unity is a priority to Jesus. In John 17, 21, he was praying to his father, and he said, Father, about the disciples, may they be one as you and I are one, so that the world will know that you sent me. So for us walking in unity, not taking our ball and going home every time we disagree is so important to jesus it shows the world that the father really sent him that's what's at stake when it comes to unity and it's important that we focus on that we're not going to always agree so when we disagree let's let's talk about it let's debate let's look at scripture together let's 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 pray about it together let's stay humble let's stay teachable i think that's so important on that making we don't want to make a secondary issue a primary issue, you know a lot of denominations that you if you were to Google how many Christian denominations there are, just under Baptist, you'll find about a hundred different. and all those churches, different churches come from the mode of baptism. Do we baptize infants? Do we baptize adults? Do we baptize believers? How do we baptize? Do we sprinkle? Do we pour? Do we take them all the way under? I mean, I have a Scottish pastor friend who says the most uh, biblical way of baptism is for the person to stand like this, and they pour, as the Holy Spirit was poured out, they pour the water on them and get them soaked that way. And we had a nice laugh over. I said, no, you don't, man. We go all the way in. Make sure, make sure it takes. Hold some down a little bit longer than others. Make sure it takes. I'm not dividing. Them. I love this man. I'm not going to divide over people who baptize infants. We don't do that here. We, we're, we are trying. We're non-denominational, so we're, we're, we are trying. I had to throw that in, but we get to... Uh, You know, we look at Scripture, and as a team, we say, okay, well, it seems like the most biblical way, and if you look at the life of Jesus, He was dedicated as a child and got baptized as an adult. So that's how how we do it. Not adults, but when somebody's of the age of saying, I want to follow Jesus, they get baptized. So not in my notes was a lot of that, so that was free. Um, Thank you. Fourth point, when we disagree, walk in liberty and love. Walk in liberty and walk in love. Do all things with love. When we disagree, walk in liberty, walk in love. We have to do that. Liberty is the freedom given by God to make wise choices concerning matters that Scripture does not specifically address without fear or pressure from fellow believers, I like that definition. We're free to make wise choices when the scriptures are. We say this a lot here. Brian says it a lot. When the script we're, where the scriptures are black and white, let's be black and white. These are you know, it's right there. But let's we're reading an ancient book that was written to ancient people. Therefore, it takes great skill and teamwork and unity to lift out from scripture how does this apply to us today does it even apply to us today what did it mean to the original audience what does it mean to us today that's that's what we have to strive for in unity and so in that gray area we're free to make wise choices your own choices that that for for yourself when it comes to doctrine or beliefs interpretation when it comes to practice. You know, can I eat Twinkies or should I not eat a Twinkie? Can I have a box of Twinkies or should I just have one? I mean, that you start working your way f- through these kind of, of issues and cultural things. In Galatians 5, Galatians is a book that Paul wrote to the Galatian believers who were Gentiles that, were, that the Judaizers were coming in behind Paul and telling him, hey, you need to get circumcised. You need to follow the law. And Paul's saying, no, no, you don't. He says, "It's for freedom that Christ has set you free. Don't get enslaved to another yoke of the law. Don't do that." So Chuck Swindoll, who I really enjoy his teaching, he, in his book Grace Awakening, if you ever want to read a great book about how to get along as believers, you know we have the vertical grace that we receive from God. We all receive that. How do we give it horizontally to each other? How do we walk in grace? His book, Grace Awakening, has just impacted me greatly. And he, he lists six questions to ask when you're in doubt about something, about you know maybe a belief, or can I do this activity? Can I, I remember one time I, I, uh, Janelle and I went with some friends to a concert, one of my childhood heroes, and, and we were walking out of the concert and somebody goes... Pastor Scott was like, hey, what's going on? Hey, that was a good concert. Oh, yeah, I enjoyed it. Later come to, came to found out that he was like, I couldn't believe he was, Pastor Scott was at a concert. Well, what were you doing there if you think it's bad in the first place? You know what I'm saying? Like, it just exposed his own hip- hypocrisy there. we got to stop doing stuff like that and stop trying to control other people and walk in, in, in liberty. I knew I wasn't doing anything wrong being at a concert. And my conscience is clean, so if yours isn't, don't go to the next concert, you know? That's just kind of how I feel about it. So, doctrine, behavior, practice, lifestyle. When in doubt, if you have any doubt, ask these six questions, okay? The first one is, can I do this in faith and with a clear conscience? I think that's important. Romans 14 is one of the best chapters. Romans 14 and 1 Corinthians 8 about Christian Liberty two chapters that the early church was dealing with can we can we eat this can we do that can we drink this we, and Paul just goes right through and gives them great understanding of how to how to do that second question is can I do this or receive this to the glory of God first Corinthians ten thirty one, Paul says for for whatever you do whether you eat or drink due to the glory of God can I do this to the glory of God it's a great question to ask when it comes to, you know, any kind of questionable things in your life. Can I do this to the glory of God? Can I honor God in this? Is there something uh, redemptive about this? Thirdly, can I do this while giving thanks to God? And this would be whatever you're in doubt about. That's what I'm saying. Is you know. Can I do this to give thanks to God? In other words, is it something that I can thank God for or see as a gift from God? Fourthly, can I do this and not violate the law of love? We're to love God and love our neighbor as ourselves. If something I'm doing, you know, could hurt somebody or, or come across as unloving, I need to not do that. That's, that's following Jesus. That's putting love before my own needs or, or interests and desires and guess what we're all imperfect at, at practicing this right now but we're going to strive to 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 follow Jesus in this Jesus was always called by the religious you know he was called a drunk a glutton wine bibber, a friend of sinners was he a drunk no was he a did he drink wine he did I know that stumbles a lot of people. It was just grape juice. No, it was wine. It was the real deal. He drank wine, but he, but he wasn't a drunkard. He didn't eat too much. Was he a friend of sinners? Yeah, he was a friend of sinners. Thank, he's, that makes him my friend of this sinner. I'm thankful for that. Fifthly, should I keep my freedom between myself and God? Paul says that. I memorized it in King James for some reason, but hath thou liberty? Keep it between yourself and God. That's marks of a mature person or a maturing person is you have freedom in some area of conscience that somebody else doesn't. Your maturity doesn't go out and broadcast it to everybody. It doesn't go out and say, "Hey, you got to be like me." No. Um, <laughs> Okay, I'm going to tell you. Janelle and I were at at this place, and it was like a little restaurant, and the, it was when the whole mask mandate changed, where you didn't have to wear a mask indoor, blah, 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 how, how it all worked. And there was these two guys that we were talking to when we first were being got to the host, and they didn't have their masks on, and they were eating and drinking. And we went and sat down, and there was a table of people hanging out as well. And when they got up and moved about the, the, the establishment, they put their masks on. And I saw the two guys that were by the host table tell the guy, you don't need to wear that in here. I was like, ooh, here we go. This is mask 101. Don't, don't tell, thou shalt not tell me what to do with my mask, right? <laughs> and um, I saw the guy. He was a big dude, older, big guy. And he kind of leaned in and he goes, if I want to wear my mask, I'm going to wear my mask. You mind your own business. I was like, dang, that's true. That's called liberty, right? He could wear his mask. I'm not going to judge him. And, and, and I've, I don't know why in the world that showed up in my notes here. It's not in my notes, but it's maturity to not make everybody think like you. I guess that's my whole point in that. The guy that told him he didn't have to wear his mask, mind your own business. Maybe he has a condition or something like that. Then lastly, am I trying to justify my position by taking Scripture out of context? One of the big ones on that, taking Scripture out of context, is the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, you shouldn't smoke. You shouldn't do this. And that's often said by people who are overweight and unhealthy themselves or drink you know, too many Cokes or whatever. And we're in other, each other's business when we shouldn't be. The, the taking the temple of, the body as the temple of the Holy Spirit out of context, that context of that verse, Paul is saying sexual immorality. Don't join yourself to a temple prostitute. You're thou the temple of God. Does that mean we shouldn't take care of our bodies? Of course we should. We're stewards of our bodies. We should do our best. But don't use that as a, as a judgment statement or a way to try to get someone to make us make them think the way you do. I know somebody who was trying to get hired on a Christian organization and they were honest that they smoked and they got rejected for the job because they were honest that they smoked and they, and they quoted, the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And I shuddered at that. I thought, don't do that. Don't take Scripture out of out of context. The, you know, it's in our modern world, it's it's not as big a deal, but when it comes to tattoos, right? People quote, Leviticus, the law, where the children of Israel were told not to put permanent markings on their body. See, it says it right there. uh, Google, are are tattoos for Christian good or not? And that scripture will come up. But I got some little insight on that. When you read it, it says, don't eat shellfish and don't wear a shirt mixed with two types of material. We're all breaking the law right now, because I know this is dry fit and something else or whatever, we, t- we take things out of context. We try to, you know, proof text something on our point and justify, and we do damage. People have been damaged over the years by proof texts and legalism and trying to justify our positions, and they don't want to go to church anymore. And they're, they're, people are leaving, the younger generation is leaving the church in droves. And they, 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 you know, and I hear it all the time, I don't like church. Come to our church. we're pretty cool. Like, we have a good church. And I, we need the church. Jesus loves the church. and for someone to, to go outside of that, they're missing out on life and relationships and what the church was created for. So I would say this: be honest about your convictions. Be honest. It's OK to have a conviction on an interpretation of Scripture or practice. Don't force it on others. I got to be careful not to do that too. I'm talking to myself. We can't force those convictions on everybody. We're going to take communion. Worship team, that's your cue. I'm just kidding. That's a little in-house joke with the worship team. Um, did if you did you all get the communion elements? If you did not get communion and you would like to take it, would you raise your hand and we'll get we'll get it to you? So just raise your hand if you didn't. Um, communion unifies us do you realize every time we take this we're saying Lord I'm with you Uh, Lord I'm with them (laughs) we, we are walking in unity even when we disagree on something this is our unity this is our own personal reminder of our forgiveness our failures and his perfection this is what we agree on It's what unifies us. Would you stand with me? We're going to sing, prepare our hearts to take communion together. And if if you're watching online or even in this room and you've never put your faith in Jesus, I would say today's the day. And faith is agreeing with Jesus about who he is, that he's the Lord, he's the Savior, and who he says you are. He loves you. And he came on a mission to redeem us, agree with him and say, I give you back my life that you gave me. You be, the, you be the driver of my life. I want to follow you. I want to turn from my own life of selfishness to a life of following you, Jesus. So let's sing this together and get our hearts ready for communion.
1: Oh my chains are
0: open up your communion and pull out the the little cracker. What we're holding in our hands with the communion elements are reminders of our redemption, reminders of our forgiveness. We're new creations in Christ. The old has passed away. All things have been made new. It's a reminder. His body was broken and his blood was shed to undo the work of Adam. Think about that. In Adam, we've all fallen. In Christ He's making us alive because of what he did in his life, death, and resurrection. It's such a beautiful thing to understand. He defeated the enemy of sin by nailing it to the cross. He defeated our enemy of death by rising from the grave. And he defeated the works of the devil. He defeated the works of the evil one. On the night he was betrayed, he was with his disciples and he lifted bread towards heaven and he blessed it. He told them, he said, take and eat. This represents my body that's broken for you. Let's take the bread. In the same way, after supper, he took a cup of wine and he raised it to heaven. And he blessed it. And he said, this cup represents the blood of the new covenant. The sacrifice to end all sacrifice. He did that for you and I. For the forgiveness of our sins. Let's drink it together. Lord, we are grateful for your love. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your plan from eternity past to redeem us and give us new life and eternal life because of the Son of God. Holy Spirit, fill us fresh and new as we go about our week that we would be people of peace, filled with your joy, filled with hope. And Lord, let that spread to the people around us we pray to influence this world for your gospel and for good may the lord bless you and keep you make his face shine upon you may he give you his peace this day and forevermore may you enjoy his presence may you enjoy communion with your heavenly father all week long in jesus name Amen.